Stampede. Garner is at number 127, recorded 2-2022. In this country, Americans have been tricked into thinking our politicians are working for them. But in fact, most career politicians are working for themselves, especially in maintaining power for themselves. A U.S. congressperson or a senator's primary interest is in self-preservation. Winning is everything for a politician's career. And the facts are, they serve the special interests of wealthy corporations that have brought them to power. That's their primary motivation, to gain control of power, and to say those people are humble and reserved when competing against each other wouldn't be accurate. No, a really good politician knows how to tear down an opponent when striving to achieve power. The first law of being a successful politician when confronted with having done something wrong is to deny everything. 
And when that doesn't work, blame it on someone else. I don't want to call out individual lawmakers in our government, even though they've retained an air of respectability after having worked in our government for 30, 40, or maybe 50 years, and who have presided over the worst deficits of our government's history. No, you had to be blind, deaf, or dumb to have contributed to $30 trillion of debt and still smile in front of the cameras saying, I'm working for the people. And that's at the very essence of a successful politician. They're manipulative. And when I say that, I mean they're deceptive and use all sorts of methods to retain power. A good case in point is the present crisis in Ukraine. Our president will say he confronted the Russian threat to invade Ukraine, when most likely Russia will still retain influence in that country without invading. But it makes our president look strong, and he'll use it to improve his plummeting popularity with the American people.
You see, the truth about the invasion of Ukraine has been a reaction to the threat the United States was making to block the Nord Stream 2 gas line. The distribution of fuel directly to Europe from Russia poses a real threat to the control of energy America has had for over 77 years, ever since 1945. Now, in one capacity or another, President Biden has been serving in the federal government for 50 years a senator, a vice president, and now our president. And if you think he doesn't know what side his bread is buttered on, then you're either naive or just plain ignorant as to how American oil corporations control this country. Big Oil has been running the show here and around the world for a long time, and they don't like the Russian government sticking their nose into their business. And you better believe they've communicated that to Biden. And let me point out, Biden as a politician has retained his power by understanding that it's the corporate world that has kept him in power and not necessarily the will of the people. Oh, sure, supposedly every politician gets elected freely in this country. But the facts are big corporations have had a hand in persuading the general public with lots of money in support of political candidates. And when laws are to be passed in our Congress, oil lobbyists have the ear of every powerful politician. If you think a few hundred people with placards standing outside the Capitol building and the White House influence the inner working in those buildings, you're wrong. It's the corporate world that has positioned itself inside those buildings to vote for issues they want done their way. I'll say this, Putin doesn't need to invade Ukraine and has communicated that to Biden, but Biden, being a shrewd politician, sees a way for him to increase his popularity with the American people, his threats to Russia averted a war.
At the heart of the crisis with Ukraine is the North Stream 2 pipeline and the conglomerate oil companies of the West with their control of Europe's supply of energy. Russia doesn't need to invade Ukraine. It has sufficient influence with strong cultural Russian-speaking citizens who have always identified themselves as belonging to Russia. Besides, NATO's expansion to the east at Russia's doorstep has given Putin good reason to show the European Union it's willing to use force to protect their historical and cultural connection to the Ukraine. However, Nord Stream 2 is another matter, and interference to block the operation of it could result in serious military confrontation. Biden knows he can't win in both the Ukraine or the Nord Stream 2 pipeline because our strength as a military power to confront Russia, China, or for that matter, any third world nation could easily result in our military force unwilling to fight or what's worse, a military rebellion. We may have the weapons, but we don't have the will. And there's good reason for that. We can't resolve the inflation this country is confronted with. The crime of violence in our streets, the protection of our southern border, our government's debt, let alone another military confrontation in a distant land. In fact, I seriously doubt this country could protect itself from a military threat close to our own shores. What Biden is doing in threatening Russia is a bluff. He knows Russia isn't going to invade Ukraine. So why is he standing up in front of the cameras and acting tough for one reason and one reason only. He's doing it to help stop the decline in his popularity. You could say it's unethical because he's putting American lives at risk to save his own political career. But let's face it, Biden is pure politics. And that doesn't include ethical behavior.
in this country, unethical behavior isn't just limited to politicians. No, it isn't. Would you say an ex-military leader sitting on the board of a company for the manufacturing of weapons who supported a 20-year war in a distant land should be paid a lot of money? Doesn't that raise unethical behavior? The longer the war, the more he's paid a salary by a powerful industrial military corporation. But let's not stop there. What about medical research? Would you say it's ethical to harvest the heart of animals to help patients who are in need of a new heart? Well, this country permits research to find a way to do that. Oh, I understand the argument about why some people think it's all right to do that. We consume an enormous amount of animals to feed ourselves. And I would say if someone actually saw in real time the slaughtering and rendering of an animal, they would have second thoughts about buying a processed part of an animal sold at a supermarket. That process is kept behind closed doors for good reasons. But how would you feel if an animal such as a pig was injected with a human stem cell to grow in that animal in order to produce a heart compatible for transferring into the body of a human being. In other words, at an early age of a pig's life, you transfer genetic human DNA to grow for a year or two in that animal, and then you take its heart out and put it in a human. Does that sound ethical to you? Well, I, for one, find it objectionable. I don't believe we have the right to exercise our power over another animal in order to extend our own life. I've seen how we rendered other animals. So it's a short step to use them for growing a heart to put in a human. I find that offensive. It, along with our consumerist economy, makes us indifferent to our connection to the natural world. And that's a very dangerous place to be.
We can deceive ourselves into believing the politicians who work in our government act ethically, that the crimes committed to defraud investors on Wall Street can be swept under the rug for profits, that we can act with impunity by bombing our adversaries, that our greed motivates us to get whatever we want. but. We can't abuse the meaning of what we came from. There is no moral justification to grow a heart with human DNA in an animal in order to harvest it by removing it and putting it in a human body. No, we can't prolong life in our species by doing that because it violates our connection to something as ancient as life itself. We've abused our trust within ourselves, but we should never allow it to make us believe we can or should cross that boundary. We came from the natural world, a world that is both beautiful and dangerous but we should never think we can live by abandoning it. You see, we're from the past with all the other living things, and we should accept their fate just as we should accept our own, with respect. We've allowed ourselves to believe we deserve to disrespect anything that isn't like us and to use them for our advantage. No profits, no political power, no weapons of warfare can replace what we came from. We're connected to them, and they're connected to us. But we can't change the heart of an animal and put it in a human body, because in reality, we're no better than they are. No, we should accept our fate just as all living things accept theirs. I won't look at myself in a mirror and say, we did it to live longer. That's a world I don't want.
this week on Garner Isn't. You first heard a cut from John Williams' score for The Minority Report, a 2002 movie. Then from Steven Spielberg's first full-length feature film in 1971, Duel, a Billy Goldenberg composition, The Café followed by another John Williams work for the 1981 movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, Dawn, and more work from John Williams, the 1975 movie Jaws, the main theme, and then from the movie Get Carter, a 1971 release, Manhunt, by Roy Budd, and to close Another shortcut from John Williams' Minority Report. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.